As you're taking a seat, if you would uh, grab your Bibles or grab the Bible in the pew in front of you, um, turn with me, follow along with me in Hebrews, and we're going to look at chapter 4 here this morning. We're in a series called Arrested Development. We're going to be wrapping this up here in the next uh, couple of weeks, but we're in a series called Arrested Development, and, and, and that term Arrested Development, as I've explained to you before, is not... It's about um, individuals that that get stunted in their growth, like physical growth, uh, where they're not progressing the way they should. Now, I'm guessing, I'm speculating, but I would probably even speculate about my speculation that uh, if you're a parent sitting in here this morning and you had a young child that was not growing, uh, physically growing and developing uh, according to you know the way the child should. I have a sneaking feeling that you would probably take your child to the doctor and you would probably be very concerned. I'm, I'm guessing that you would probably uh, seek as much medical help as you could find um, and, and you would do anything you could to help to find out what's going on and to try to help uh, find that remedy or find that cure, figure out what's going on uh, of why your child is not continuing to grow the way they should. And so that's really what the author of Hebrews is doing uh, to, to this group of people. He's saying, you guys are stunted and, and you're looking back. I want you. To, I hope that when we go through this, as we've been going through Hebrews, that with the author, you get this clear sense that this person is very passionate about the people that he's writing to. He's not conde- He or she, they are not condemning uh, uh, the, the, the people that they're writing to. They're not really judging them or anything like that. There's this, there's this deep concern. There's this passion. And, and the author's like trying to get this out to say, no, 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 man, you can't turn back. You can't, you can't look back at the old ways. You can't look back at, from where you came from. And he, and he, and he keeps, t- you know, he kept, they kept, I keep saying he or she. And the reason why I say that is, as I said before, we really don't know who the author is. There's a couple of different speculations of who the author of Hebrews is. But as, as we study this, as theologians have studied this for years, we just don't know. And so I'm trying to get it out like they, or, you know, that this person, the author. Uh, but anyhow, uh, they, they have this deep passion to, 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 to write to these people and to say, look, we, we are in Christ now. Christ has done all these things. And so, you know, Christ is, is supreme. Christ is the one that is sitting on the right-hand side of the Father. This Jesus is the one that is our Savior. This is the gospel. Don't turn back to the law. Don't turn back to the, the do's and don'ts because that is not what's going to, to bring salvation to you. But it's, it's Jesus and it's, and it's uh, living in Him. And so as the, uh, we're going to look at chapter four here. And a lot of times, this person will go back and say, look at the people back here in the, you know, that was going to the promised land. When God brought them out of Egypt, when God delivered them out of slavery, look what happened. They got stunted. Their hearts became hard. Their ears kind of shut off. And so, uh, again, we're going to see a little bit of that in our reading today. But in chapter 4, verse 1, I'm going to read from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. So it may, it may, um, read a little bit differently. Uh, but follow along and it says this. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us be, be let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. That, by the way, that whole word "beware" uh, essentially is let us fear. He's saying you really need to think about this. You really need to look into this because the, if we're going to enter into God's rest, the blessings that God is wanting to give us, the blessings that that God is so wonderfully wanting to lavish on us. 
fear that you don't fall short of those because this is what God wants to give you. God wants to, to bring you to this place where He just wants to bless you and you're going to find all these blessings within Him. And He goes on in verse 2, For we also have received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we have believed, enter the rest, for, I'm sorry, for we who have believed enter the rest in keeping with what he has said. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest, even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. Verse 4, for somewhere, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way, and on the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage he says, they will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, he again specifies a certain day, today. He specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him uh, to whom we must give an account. In verse 11 is where I kind of want us to, to think about here. It says, let us, again, let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. Now, let me take you back real quick. So, you've got... The, you've got this large group of people that's in slavery in Egypt. They cry out to God. God sends them, the, them Moses to deliver them, to bring them out of slavery. Moses leads them out with God, you know, God leading Moses. Moses leads them out of slavery. God takes them right up to the place where he says, this is, this is what I want to give you. This is the land of milk and honey. This is the land of rest. You know, this is the land where you, you experienced all this negative stuff back here. You're going to enter into this spot right here, and it is going to be the sweet spot. You are going to be, you, you know, just, this is it, man. This is it, okay? So the story goes, they send in 12 spies. They go in, they come out, and 10 of the spies say, there's no way that we can go in there because there's these giants that live in there, and in their eyes, we look like grasshoppers. So these 10 spies were full of, uh, full of fear. They were like, there's no way we can't do this. There's just no way. You know, what's plan B? Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb said, this is where God's telling us to go. We got to go. And they brought back some things from the land and it was like, you know, some fruit, things like that. And it was just absolutely magnificent. And Joshua and Caleb, two of them said, we got to go. This is what God's saying. We got to be obedient. Well, as the story goes, they didn't want to go, so they all took a vote, and majority rules, and so they don't go. For 40 years, they wander around the desert because God said, because you were disobedient, you didn't trust me, and go in and take the land, you're not going to enter into the land, you're going to die off, and only two people is going to get to go in the land, and that's Joshua and Caleb, okay? So that's what the author of Hebrews keeps pointing back to. These guys didn't want to, they didn't want to go, they didn't want to go forward. 
They hardened their hearts. They saw all the things that God did for them. They saw the miracles of God. They saw how incredible God was in leading them and blessing them and providing provisions and all these things for them. But they lost sight. They lost sight. Their ears shut. Their eyes became blind and they lost sight of who God was. And instead, they chose, they made the decision not to follow God, not to be obedient. And because of that, they were disobedient. And God said, you're not entering into this land of rest. You'll die off and a new generation will come up and I will take them into the land that I have promised them. It's kind of a sad situation in a sense. And as we look at it today, bringing this current to our culture today, current for you and I sitting in here, what does that mean for us? Well, I think the wilderness wanderings represent the experiences of you and I that are believers. Those of us that call our, that call Jesus our Lord and Savior. Where we've accepted that free gift of grace and mercy and salvation. I think that wandering wilderness can represent our experiences. And there's times where we will refuse to claim our spiritual inheritance in Christ. There's times where we will make decisions because we are full of fear. Because we don't want to step forward. We don't want to trust God. We don't want to, we, we don't, it's the unknown. And, and we'll start to doubt God's word. And because of that, we start living our lives in this sense of restless unbelief. We become restless. Now, God's still with us. If we have salvation, this is not a salvation issue. God's still with us. God was still with those individuals wandering in the wilderness. Even though they weren't going to go into the land, He still provided for them. Their shoes, their clothes never wore out. He provided and they were still His people. But they were not going to, they were not allowed to, and because of what they decided, they weren't going to receive those blessings there. Just like you and us. Or you and I. There are times where God is saying, I want to take you into this space. I want to take you into this area. I want to grow you. I want to show you some things that's just going to knock your socks off. I want you, 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 you say that you want life. You say that you're searching. You say that you're unfulfilled. You say that, you know, there's these things that you want to, you want to be fulfilled in your life. Then let me show you. Let me lead you. Trust me. And for some of us, we won't do that. We will not do that. We become full of fear. We have this issue of surrendering. We have this issue where we think, you know what? I can control my life better. Now, I don't think any of us that are following Jesus would ever sit down and verbally say that. But if you could take a snapshot, if you could draw back and take a look at your life, there's times where we make those decisions where we say, you know what? I don't know, you know. I think I can do this better. And I'm not going to trust God. And, and so we kind of wander in the wilderness too. But that is exactly what Satan wants us to do. That's exactly what Satan wants you to do. Is to doubt God. Satan cannot create anything. But he can destroy, distort, deceive. That is what he does. And he comes to you and I at times where God wants to lead us, grow us, change us, and he plants those seeds of doubts in our ears, and we, and, and, and at times we listen to it, and we bite on it. And then we start experiencing this sense, our lives has this sense of restlessness and unbelief, or this restlessness that we can't quite put our fingers on at times. But Satan's game is this. He does not want, I'm gonna tell you something, this is Satan's, 
This is no secret. This is Satan's number one goal right here for each and every one of us in this room this morning. Satan's goal is to convince you and I and to get us to realize, to get us to buy into the fact that we begin to doubt or don't even see who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ. That's his number one goal. His number one goal is he can't destroy you. If you're a child of God, he can't destroy you. He doesn't have that power. He can't go up against God. He can't destroy you. But he can deceive you to death. He can get you and I in a position where we rob ourselves of these blessings of God, where God wants to take us. The very things that we want within our lives, the very things that we want, that, that, that deep yearning within our lives, that those very things that God's saying, they're yours. Because you're one of mine, because you're my son, you're my daughter, they're yours. Those very things we will sabotage because we get deceived, we listen to the enemy, we listen to Satan, we listen to Satan work through other individuals, and we miss out on some incredible blessings that God is saying, these are yours. They're yours. Now, I want to share a very hopeful message with you today because I want to share with you who you really are in Christ. And this is what Satan does not want you to know. Okay? And to live in this reality. If you would turn with me to 1 Peter, I want to look at verse 2, verses 9 through 10. Okay? And this is exactly what Satan was doing here. He was wanting them to, you know, just deceiving, doing everything he can so that they would not trust God and follow God's leading. But look, look in chapter, I want you to look at chapter 2. Or, I'm sorry, yeah, chapter 2, 1 Peter, chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to look at just two verses, 9 and, 9 and 10. And I want you to list, just lean into this. Again, I'm going to read from the Holman Standard, uh, the Holman Christian Standard Bible ver, translation. Listen to what uh, verse 9 says. But you are a chosen race. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for His possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the One who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let me tell you what Satan doesn't want us to do. Every single one of us sitting in here, Satan wants you to wander around in the desert, in the wilderness, until you die. He wants to rob you of joy. He wants you to rob you of all the things that God, that God wants to give you. And so we, we come at that precipice where we say, we're kind of like, we're like the people that came out of Egypt and we're standing there at the precipice. We're standing there and we've sent our spies in and ten of them are going to come back and they're going to try to convince us. Two of them are going to try to convince us. If we could use that, if we could kind of parallel here, if we could use it that way, ten of them is going to say, no, you can't do this, no. And, and, and again, we miss out on exactly what God wants to do in and through us. We miss out on who we become deceived on who we are in Christ. If Satan can get you deceived about your spiritual identity, who you are in Christ, he's got you. He's got you. Because you're deceived and you have no power 
You're literally just, you're, you're kind of wiped out there. You have nothing. And it's very interesting, it's very interesting that, that when we look at this, the phrase in Christ, the phrase in Christ is used about 140 times in the Bible. 140 times in the Bible, it says to be in Christ, that we are in Christ. It's the most term, it's the most used term to describe a disciple, a believer, someone who is in the family of God. The word Christian that we often use is only used a couple times. The word Christian is only used a couple times. But throughout the Bible, instead of, instead of the word Christian, the Bible says, you are in Christ. You're in Christ. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, as we just read from our passage of Scripture here, the first thing uh, that it looks like is this. I am completely accepted by God in Christ. In Christ. I, you. We are, those of us that are in Christ, are accepted completely by God. We've been chosen. I'm completely accepted. This is, it, it, it's an absolutely vital piece because it, it transcends all wounds that we may have, all the struggles in life, because we experience, some of us experience, some of us grew up in situations that, that we were told that we are nothing. You were told that you're nothing. You're told that you're not going to amount to anything. You're told that you're not going to succeed. There, there all these things. Now, I'm not preaching like health and wealth here. I'm just simply saying, you've been, some of you have been surrounded your whole life by naysayers. By people that can tell you exactly what, why you can't move forward. Why you can't push through. Why that you can't cross over, right? And to, and to receive all these things that God wants to give you in Christ. That rejection that you've experienced runs deep. And Satan comes in, all he does is kind of rip the scab open, kind of pours salt in it, kind of reactivates it, get it gets it moving again. And, 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 we, and at times we just buy into it and we say, you know what, you're right. That is who I am. When all along we miss out and forget that we are accepted by God in Christ. And it all starts as this powerful influence in our lives. It's a very powerful influence within our lives. The reverse of it is can determine... Well, in fact, it doesn't matter. The reverse, the, the, the concept of it, it literally drives every area of our lives. Our desires to be accepted. It, it, it drives us to what we wear, the kind of cars we buy, the houses we live in, where we work, where uh, the type of fun we have, the friends that we have, the friends we mingle with, who we marry, etc. It drives everything. It absolutely drives everything. If we say, if we buy into the Satan's lies, it's going to drive us completely in a negative situation, scene. Whereas if we believe that we are in Christ, accepted by God, it totally changes us. It, we, it's, it's, we are chosen and we are accepted by God. He says here, you are a chosen race. Other translation says, you're chosen by God Himself. In Ephesians, Paul writes that He chose us before the creation of the world. He knew what was going to happen before the creation of the world was even was even laid. It says that we're acceptable by God. We we are accepted. We are treated. Titus says this. Jesus treated us as much better than we deserve. He made us acceptable to God and He gave us the hope of eternal life. So the first thing is that, that, that I'm accepted by God. I'm chosen and I'm accepted. The, the next one I want to share is this. We're extremely valuable. We are extremely valuable to God. We're not just accepted, but we're extremely valuable. We're priceless. Peter says this. He says in another translation, you are a holy nation and a people belonging to God. We are part of God's people. Tell me we're not valuable. God owns us. 
It's amazing, we as humans, it is amazing that we as humans, have you ever seen some of the stuff that gets auctioned off that used to belong to some famous people? Whether it be someone's, like an athlete's pair of shoes or or the Beatles, you know, collections and stuff like this. Other people will pay millions and millions and millions of dollars for certain things that was owned by another human. And we say, wow, that's valuable. That's valuable because that was owned by this person. Can you imagine if we would just buy, if we would understand and live in that moment of Christ that we are valuable to God? We are accepted by God. We are gods. Do you realize how valuable we are? How priceless that you are? And it, it, it just puts us in this position that we understand that we are, we, we are so much more than what we think we are at times. And Deuteronomy 7, 6, 7, 6 says, you are a people holy to the Lord, your God. His treasured possession. We're valuable because God is my Father and Jesus gave His life for us. First Corinthians, Paul says this, You have been bought and paid for by Christ, so you belong to Him. He paid for us with His blood, His life's blood. So that shows us how valuable you are. If you ever wonder how valuable you are, if you ever wonder or, or, or feel how worthless you are, just look at the cross. Because the cross is going to tell you how valuable you truly are. Jesus paid His blood for you. Gave His blood for you. And we're going to be celebrating that even more on Easter here in a couple weeks. Reflecting on the cross and the work that was done on the cross. The greatest ransom that was ever paid. The second, or the next thing is this. You You are eternally loved. We are eternally loved in Christ as God's child You are accepted, you are extremely valued, and you are eternally loved. In in the in verse 10 here it says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you didn't have an identity. We didn't have an identity whatsoever, but now we do have an identity. It has profound implications on us. God is, we're part of God's family. We are not ashamed to be a part of His family. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. I think one of the reasons why that we, it's hard for us to grab a hold of this being eternally loved by God. We are in Christ, eternally loved by God, is because it's, it's unconditional and it's unending. And those are two things that we don't experience here on earth when it comes to receiving love a lot of times. There are many of us that have experienced love that was given to us if we did certain things, right? Very conditional. If you do this, then I'll love you. If you do these things, then I will give you my love. There was always something attached to it. Some of us, that's the way we were raised. Some of some of you sitting in here this morning, your parents, that's how they treated you throughout your life. If you did these things, then you were loved. If you did these things, then you were accepted. Then you were, you know, and, and it has this attachment. And a lot of times we can go through life and we say, oh man, you know, I really messed up before God. I'm not, and, and we just become, we, we start buying in again to the deception of Satan. We begin to miss, we, we start missing out on under, truly understanding our identity in Christ that says, no, you're loved, man. You are loved. You are eternally loved and it's not going to end. It doesn't mean that, you know, if, there, the if is in, it's, there, there's no ifs in there. We are in Christ. We are loved by Him. Instead, here on earth, we experience the opposite, where it says, 
you know, I, I'm loved because of this, or if this, or because, or whatever. And, and that is what sometimes we project on our love that God gives us. We are eternally loved. Psalm 105 says this, God's love is eternal, and His, faithless, His faithfulness lasts absolutely forever. You see the blessings that we have in Christ? You see the blessings that's there, that, that when we live in the truth of our identity in Christ, we just we experience these things that, that we're truly looking for, that nothing else can replace. The next thing is that I'm totally forgiven. We are totally forgiven in Christ. It says, at one time you did not know God's mercy, but now you have received His mercy. God's mercy has been has has given us God's forgiveness. God absolutely loves us unconditionally, unending. He forgives us. Again, we as humans, I do counseling. This is one of those things that a couple goes through something, something happens, and forgiveness needs to be worked on. You know how most humans work on forgiveness? I, I read this and I thought, you know, that's a great way of putting it. We kind of go with forgiveness like, hey, I'm going to take this incident that we're talking about right now. I forgive you. I forgive you. And I'm going to take this and I'm going to put it in this box right here. And then, you know, and then we take it and we kind of put it on the shelf back here, right? Why do we do that? Because I'm going to need that at some point, right? I'm going to need that. I'm going to need that. Why am I going to need that? Because at some point, you're going to hurt me again, right? At some point, you're going to hurt me. At some point, we're going to go through this again. And then what I can do is I can go back and I can, I can grab that and I can bring that box out and I can take the lid off and say, see, I told you. See, I told you. Here's the kicker. Again, we all want forgiveness, don't we? We want true forgiveness. Absolutely true forgiveness. But we sabotage it. By those types of things, we totally sabotage it. And many of us will buy into Satan's lies when Satan says, that's how God forgives. That's not how... Is that what the Bible teaches? The Bible doesn't teach that's how God forgives. The Bible teaches that when God forgives, it's removed as far as the east is from the west. It's not coming up again. You've been forgiven. The only person that brings it up is us. That's the kicker. The only person that brings it up is us. We'll do something... Oh. I just, yeah, okay, this happened again, you know. And, and again, we, 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 it's easy to buy into those lies. In Christ, we are totally forgiven. Do you understand how much, and some of us I'm sure do, but then there's some that we wrestle with this. I mean, we wrestle with this sense of unconditional love and unending love and forgiveness. We want to attach things to it to say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. And it's like, wait a second. No, that's not how God is. God truly unconditionally loves us and forgives us. Some will say, let's just get this out of the way. Some will say, well, you can't continue to do the things that you're doing and God's going to continue to forgive. And I would say this, why are you doing those things then? If you're living in a relationship in Christ, why are you continuing to do the things that He doesn't want you to do? That doesn't make sense. I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to say, okay, well, I'm unconditionally loved, I'm forgiven. Woo! Man, I can go out and just do anything I want to do. Why would you do, that's not, that's, that's not your desire. Man, when you truly experience God's blessings, when you truly experience who God is, man, and you start, you start experiencing in Christ these, the, 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 just the implications of being a part of God's family, that is so contagious. 
I don't want to hurt God. I don't want to do things that's going to bring shame on Jesus. Why would I do that? Now, there's times where I may slip, but, but He forgives me and He loves me. But my desire is to please Him. Because I have, I have, I have found what I've been looking for all along. And He fulfills me. God, we are totally forgiven. Here's the beauty of it is. Why? Because it's in His nature to forgive. We miss out on understanding how just the love of who God is. We say, well, God loves. Yes, God loves because that's who He is. That's His essence to love. It's, it's His essence to forgive. It's in His nature to forgive. Jesus paid my sin debt. Jesus paid every single... He paid the debt of sin. And living in Him, our identity in Christ is that my debt's been paid. God's no longer angry with me. Instead, God's wanting to invite me in to His family even deeper to experience things that I've never, that, that I just can't imagine. I just can't imagine. Isaiah 43-25 says this, I am the God who forgives your sins, and I do this because of who I am. I will not hold your sins against you. It's in his, it's in his nature. It's who he is. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 7, for the blood of Christ we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God? God says, I mean, this is it, man. We've been forgiven in Christ, living in Christ. And the last one I want to share with you is this. Because of all of this, living in Christ, I am fully capable. We are fully capable. First, uh, Peter, uh, the ninth verse there says, You are a royal priesthood chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into His wonderful life. When God, and I've, we, we've talked about this many times, when God calls us out and, and, and we accept that free gift of grace and mercy and forgiveness and we begin to live in Christ, we are all about representing Him. We are all about bringing Him glory. We are all about, we're all about, hopefully we're all about driven by this sense of passion to talk about, to, to, to talk about God because He has absolutely rocked our world. He's absolutely changed our lives. Jesus has come into our lives and has brought us in. We are in Him now and we are totally just taken aback by all of these, by, by just who God is, which makes us capable and, and fully capable to go and to share about God. Now that doesn't mean, I think, I think we get this, I think when we hear that, it's like, okay, I'm saved, now I gotta do this. That's not what it is. I think when we become fully in Christ, and what, and what I mean by that is, when, when we begin to understand our identity in Christ, it's like things just strip away. We begin to experience this life, and life to the fullest, which just energizes us, because that's what we've been looking for all along. And anybody we rub up against, anybody we come in contact with, they're going to experience, they're going to see it. They're going to encounter it. They're going to see that we're, man, that guy's different. That per, that woman's different. You know what? That, I got this person that I work with in my office, and she is abs, she doesn't really engage in some of this other stuff that other people do. It's like people start seeing us differently. Because we have God emanating from us. And then there's those times where the, the, the God wants to use us and we are fully capable. You hear people talk about, sometimes it's like, it's like, well, I, you know, I can't, I can't talk about God because I just don't know the Bible. I don't know all these things. And it's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Anything that we're passionate about comes out. 
You've bored people to death, to tears, with stuff that you become passionate about. And you don't think twice about boring them to death, to tears, right? When we become so passionate about God, where God just fills us, we become passionate. It's just going to come out. And we're going to bring God, uh, bring God glory. Acts 26, 18 says this, kind of like part of the, uh, it says, to, it says to open their eyes so they may turn from the darkness to light from the power of Satan to God, that by faith in me, they may receive forgiveness of sins and share among those who are sanctified. People are going to ask you questions. People, it's going to come out in some shape, way, or form. And that's when you can share with them. Man, I've, I've found, Je- Jesus is rocking my world. I mean, Jesus is making a, an incredible difference in my world that I thought I could never imagine. And it's all because He lives in me. Paul writes in Philippians 4.13, I can do everything... I can do everything I can do, everything through Christ who gives me strength. Anything God directs, leads us to do, He, we are fully capable and He fully gives us the strength. Now, as I close and the worship team comes back up, again, I want to draw us back to this big picture. These guys back here in Egypt wandered around for 40 years and they really didn't get to enter in and experience what other people are going to experience later. Because of their disobedience, because of their disbelief, their unbelief, their distrust in who God was, because they couldn't trust God in that from that perspective, they literally didn't get to experience some of the things that God wanted to give them. That's based upon their decision. That's based upon their decision. That's not God's fault. That's not God being a mean God. That's because they said, you know what? I, I don't want that. I don't want that. And they did not get to experience that. And that's exactly what you and I go through on a daily basis now when it comes to Satan within our lives wanting to deceive us. He is wanting to convince us that this over here, these things that are of God, this, 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 this surrendering into God and being in Christ, we just don't latch on to it and we say, you know what, I, I, I'm more comfortable here. I'm more comfortable here. And we miss out on some things over here. Which God's saying, man, I want, I want you to, see, I want you to experience, I want you to see some things. Folks, don't allow Satan to strip you or to deceive, not strip you, he can't strip you, but to deceive you of your identity in Jesus Christ. Don't let that happen. Be fearful. Be fearful. Do not allow Satan to deceive and take and, and and get you to the point where you're missing out on the blessings that God wants to give you. Does that make sense? God wants to just bless and give and lead us into a place that is absolutely breathtaking. And the decision comes down to us. Will we trust Him and allow Him to take us into that space? If you would, let me. I would like for you to stand. Let me, let me lead us into a word of prayer as we sing one last song. And I pray that you would just use this time as a response. Allow the Spirit of God to connect with your spirit. Allow God to just communicate with you, and and allow Him to just lead you into that place where He wants to lead you. Father, I give you great thanks for this opportunity that we've had this morning to hear Your Word. 
to be reminded again that Satan wants to destroy, wants to strip away, wants to take, wants us to not experience the blessings that we receive from you. About being in this family with you. Our identity that we have in you, he wants to distort and completely get us to a point where we just where we just kind of miss out. I pray that that wouldn't be a part of us any longer. I pray, and I know some are, are very diligent, intentional of, of, of guarding themselves, and I pray that we would all be in that spot. I pray that, that those of us that, that are following you, that, that are in you, I pray that we would guard that with everything we have, Father, that we would trust you, that we would allow you to lead us into that space where we just where we just experience the things that you want to just give us because of just who you are. And I pray that if there are individuals in here this morning that are not yet in you, that are still buying into Satan's lies, I pray that this might be the day they would surrender their hearts to you, that they would see that 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 you have what they are truly looking for. And Father, that they would experience life for the very first time and life to the fullest. And I pray that we all could live our lives for you and not for ourselves. Denying ourselves and picking up our crosses daily and following you. And I pray all this in the powerful name of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.